Uh oh. <laughs> That's my fourth step inventory now. Alright, now it's time for our speaker Scott to share for 10 to 15 minutes on what it was like, what happened, and what life is like now. My name is Scott and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Hello everyone. This is only my second time at this meeting, third time if you include 12 12 event days, which I do. If it matters to you, I'm neither an LGBT nor a Q. I'm an HM, a heterosexual male. But I am very proud of who I am as a hetero male, and I have no shame about that. You know, I was asked to speak at this meeting on Thursday afternoon, and I accepted Thursday night. And um, I was looking for some inspiration. I think I found some at my newest home meeting, which is in Pleasant Hill on Saturday mornings. So uh, I'm going to kind of just talk about that... There's this metaphor in 12-step recovery, the three-legged stool, which is representative of physical recovery, emotional recovery, and spiritual recovery. But that three-legged stool is not the only triplet in 12-step recovery. Um, In addition to the physical, the emotional, and spiritual, we have experience, strength, hope. We have honesty, open-mindedness, willingness. We have what I was like, what happened, what I'm like now. We have the three parts of the shortened version of the Serenity Prayer. And then we have A, B, and C from How It Works in the AA Big Book. Did you know if you took the first third of all those triplets and lined them all up, they all go together perfectly and they address the process of uncovering. Did you know if you took the second third of all those triplets and lined them all up, they all go together perfectly and they address the process of discovering. Did you know if you took the final third of all those triplets and lined them all up, they all go together perfectly, and they get into the process of recovering. So first third, second third, third third, uncover, discover, recover. Experience, strength, hope, honesty, open-mindedness, willingness, physical, emotional, spiritual, et cetera, et cetera. I've never heard this in 12-step before. You have to forgive me. I kind of think about this stuff a lot sometimes. So... Anyway, I'm going to begin by talking, uh, sharing my experience with the physical part of recovery. So when I came into my first meeting of OA over 18 years ago, at age 28, I clocked in at 315 pounds with a size 44 waist. The consequences of uh, compulsive overeating, it wasn't just about the obesity, the morbid obesity. I mean, I would steal food from family members and friends. I would steal food from employers. I would steal money from family members and friends and employers to support my junk food habit. I incurred a lot of credit card debt to support my junk food habit. I had shame around my, my food. I had guilt around my food. I often would hide food. I was often dishonest about my food. I used to get, I used to get out of my garbage can all the time. Right? In fact, a big part of my life for the seven years leading up to my first OA meeting was I used to routinely eat, eat out of my garbage can every night. I would sleepwalk from sleeping to the garbage can and dig out the food I threw out the night before. So um, a lot of consequences of compulsive overeating. I was heavily medicated too as a result. I mean, I had depression, I had anxiety, had all kinds of skin problems, high cholesterol. I used to have Tourette syndrome. All that's gone. Psoriasis, I'm still fighting. This is about 70% cured. It was much worse. But everything else is cleared up on its own just by changing what I eat and what I drink. So um, it was not fun being in my body. Um, 
really difficult stuff. I, I just do not want to go back there ever again. In my opinion, the physical part of recovery is addressed in step one. I think of step one as the paradoxical step. Um, if you keep coming back long enough, you'll hear a lot in these meetings that perfection is a bad thing, that black and white thinking and acting is a bad thing, that all, of, all, all or nothingness is a bad thing, that not living in the moment is a bad thing, that future tripping is a bad thing. And you'll also hear that OA is a spiritual program. Now, for the most part, I agree with every single one of those assessments, except for when it comes to the most important part of my life, and that's my food. When it comes to my food, I, want, I strive for perfection. You know, in AA, an alcoholic either drinks or they don't. There is no in-between, there is no gray, there is no compromise. They're either drinking or they don't. Now, I know that in OA, we have to work a little bit harder to figure out what our alcoholic ingredients are. And then even within OA, there are kind of two factions, right? Some people like me believe in restricting the ingredients that cause cravings. And then other people want to restrict maybe only one thing or nothing. And then they just believe in kind of, you know, eating in moderation, whatever they want, right? So I fall into that first camp, the former camp. My goal is to eliminate the cravings. I want to have distance from the um, addictive substance, right? That's kind of like, you know, recovery. The name of the game is kind of twofold, right? Don't scratch the itch, number one, and build distance between you and the addictive substance or you and the, and the addictive behavior. So on March 26, 2001, I celebrated one day off refined white sugar. And I haven't taken it back. It's the greatest thing I've ever done is giving up refined white sugar. And that one act gave me a little bit of clarity to kind of take the next right action in recovery. Um, I did suffer, however, from seven plus years of relapse. What I relapsed on was wheat and corn and things like that. So finally on July 1st, 2010, I was ready to give up wheat, corn, rice, and most potato products, which in turn gave me more clarity. And since then, I've given up caffeine, I've given up dairy, I've given up meat. Now in OA, we don't, we don't you know, this is not an OA thing, this is a, a Scott thing. This is what I needed to do for my, for my recovery. Food is always the solution in the moment, so why would I want to live in the moment when it comes to the food? Food is never the solution when it comes to the future, so why don't I want a future trip? So once again, step one is the paradoxical step. All the rules of recovery go out the door when it comes to step one. I strive for perfection. And also, I don't believe that the physical part of recovery is, is, a spiritual, is, is about spirituality. I think it's about math and science. The math is the number on my scale. The math is the numbers on my clothing tags. The math are, is the numbers on my cholesterol readings. The math is how many calories I'm putting in and, and you know, working out, right? Working off. Um, the science is the weight I lose. You know, my skin gets more clear. My depression and anxiety goes away. I become more energetic. The brain fog is lifted, right? To me, that's the science. So again, the paradoxical step, step one. The gift I get from abstaining from all those things like, is I get the gift of clarity. You know, I have to have that clarity if I want to successfully dive into the emotional part of recovery, right? So the emotional part of recovery is dealt with in steps two through nine. There's something really interesting that happens when you look at two through nine. First of all, you see that two-thirds of the 12 steps are dedicated to the emotional part of recovery. That's quite a bit. The other thing is you see four pairs of married steps. 
two and three are married, four and five are married, six and seven are married, eight and nine are married. If you look at the even-numbered steps, two, four, six, and eight, you know, I am challenged to gather data, to gather information about myself. And with that data, with that information, I'm asked to create lists. So for example, my step two is a list of traits I need and want in a higher power. In my step four, that's a list of my secrets. My step six is a list of my character defects. My step eight is a list of all persons to whom I owe amends, including myself. If you look at the odd-numbered steps, three, five, seven, and nine, I am asked to take actions based on those lists I created. So my step three actions are based on my step two list. My step five actions are based on my step four list. My step seven actions are based on my step six list. And my step nine actions are based on my step eight list, right? So I am the author of several great works of fiction that I store up here in my head at the Library of Scott. Some of these great works of fiction include I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm not good enough, I'll never get married, I'm not worthy of grad school, and have I mentioned that I'm ugly? But I'm not a masochist. I mean, I benefited from keeping these lies alive, right? Keeping these lies alive gave me permission to not grow up, right? Keeping these lies alive gave me permission to live in my parents' apartment until I was almost 31 years old. Keeping these lies alive gave me permission to not get a driver's license, not go on dates, right? Um, I came into OA a big boy. Now I'm a grown, responsible man. You know, the emotional part of recovery is about dealing with the lie that's up here in my head. And, you know, the antidote to the lie is the truth. That is the goal when I work two through nine is to speak the truth about myself for the first time in my life, pretty much. The gift I get from the emotional part of recovery is hope. Maybe there is a different way of living. Like maybe there indeed is light at the end of the tunnel, right? And I need that hope. I need that knowledge that there's a different way of living, maybe, in order to tackle the spiritual part of recovery. So the spiritual part of recovery is dealt with in step 10, 11, and 12. You know, I was thinking the other day about, I was in group therapy in 2004, 2005, and I was doing really well. It was an incredibly tough year for me. It's the toughest year of my adult life, I think. But near the tail end of 2004, maybe the beginning of 2005, I kind of was doing well with my overall health. And um, I was in group therapy, and my treatment coordinator at the time said, you know, you're doing really well. Have you thought about going back to school? And I said, yeah, I'm going to take four classes and I'm going to get a part-time job too. And he, and he looked at me with a little smile and he said, what's the rush, Scott? What, what's the hurry? And, I really, and, it, and it hit me. I really heard that. Yeah, what, what is the rush, Scott? What is the hurry? So, you know, with humility, because I really didn't want to do this, I only took one class that semester. It was a remedial English composition course at City College of San Francisco. And I showed up every single week to that class. I participated in every single class discussion that semester. I made it a point to meet with my professor after class every single week just to say, hey, I'm here, you know. And I ended up getting an A in that class. And it felt really good. And... One of the things I learned that a lot of those lies were just that. I was just telling myself more lies. 
And then the following semester, I took two full-time classes and one part-time class that met only eight weeks, I think. And I did well again. One of those full-time classes turned into a teacher's assistant gig the following semester. And you know, little did I know that that teacher's assistant gig would be one of the first things I was to write on my grad school application, right? And I don't know when this happened, but it hit me one day that this is kind of what the, what the spiritual part of recovery is. Right? I take a positive risk, right? I take a, the next right action, I live to tell about it, I learn in the process that these things are not really as hard as I wanted to believe, and I feel good when I do these things. And that in turn allows me to have enough courage to take another positive risk. And then this thing happens, you know, over a long period of time. And all of a sudden, in 2019, I just feel like a normal guy now for the first time in my life. I feel like a normal guy. I have a normal full-time job. You know, I don't like paying my taxes, but I do, like most normal people. Um, I have a normal girlfriend, you know. And, geez, I mean, as of about a month and a half ago, Mrs. Wright and I are trying to have a baby. And I'm telling you, 17 months ago is when I had that epiphany that for the first time in my life, I realized I wanted to have a child. And then one month later, God, my higher power, the solution to my problems, brought into my life the latest iteration of Mrs. Wright, what I believe to be the final iteration of Mrs. Wright. So we're trying to have a baby. We're trying to buy a home together, preferably in the Bay Area. It may or may not happen, but we're taking several next right actions to um, figure that out. So I have this normal life now. And many of the things I do daily, it's just second nature now. These are all things I used to be afraid of doing, and now I just do them without really thinking, right? I don't make excuses anymore. I own up to my, my mistakes. And um, yeah, I'm in a healthy, normal body weight, and at age 47, my health has never been better. I came into the fellowship on eight different medications for a number of medical and psychiatric conditions. I'm on none now. Everything is gone. The psoriasis is 70% gone. The other stuff is completely gone. And um, I'm just really grateful for OA. I moved out of San Francisco uh, 11 months ago to the East Bay. Um, But prior to that, I lived in San Francisco for over 44 years. Uh, the last 17 and a half of which I spent here in OA San Francisco. So um, I think I'm done. I love seeing all the familiar faces and the unfamiliar faces, and I hope that that was a helpful share. Thank you.